to see what is in front of one's nose needs a constant struggle. George Orwell. Hello everyone, and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. On this episode, we have James Alfred. James has been translating the papers from the Russian researcher Haribau and posting his findings on his blog. That name has been coming up a lot with the lunar wave material that Pros 777 has been posting, and we're going to discuss his findings. James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's awesome, man. Why don't we start with a little background on you, who you are, and the material we're going to be covering. Uh, sure. Um, I'm just more or less a uh, kind of a hobbyist in the world of the, the 14 stuff and the occult and so forth. Uh, it was introduced to it at a fairly early age with my mom and dad. They were both into ghosts and UFOs and uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, all that good stuff. Um, and then I kind of got into it in elementary school and kept up with it through middle school. And then in high school, the X-Files hit. And then, of course, that brought in the whole Roswell uh, UFO retrieval, all that stuff from that time period. Uh, and kind of got away from it. And then probably 10 years ago, found a couple podcasts that were on the web regarding this kind of information. I uh, got back into it, and then a few years back, decided to write a blog because I've been reading different books by uh, Valet and John Keel and all those good things. So I created a blog in order for me to basically, it's kind of twofold. It's for me to read, forces me to read different information and then also uh, summarize it in a way that makes sense to me. So uh, that's kind of how I got started in all of the, uh, the blog itself. Awesome. Well, what we're going to be discussing is a takeoff of the information that uh, Crow 777 has been doing about the lunar wave and a Russian researcher who passed away a few years ago, apparently, and the information that he has out in the web that you've been translating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, as far as me getting into that, uh, as far as I can tell, there's a couple of researchers out there, but they are under the radar, not really wanting to draw a whole bunch of attention to themselves. Uh, I had listened to a Crow interview maybe of April of this year or last year where he first discussed this uh, awareness of this researcher in Russia. Uh, the name kind of varies, but it's Hattie Bow, um, it's Alexander Khatib. There's multiple names that are associated with this alleged scientist. Um, at that point in time, Crow had put some links on his website, or I should say on his uh, YouTube channel. Um, so after listening to the interview and just hearing the possibility of arachnid brains, uh, different octaves that manipulate the universe and so forth. I just, it was fascinating to me. So I uh, got the links, saved them all to a Word document, uh, translated them all, and then basically started working through the material. So I've been probably going at it for six to eight months now, uh, reading, rereading, and summarizing as best as I can. Awesome. Well, the reason why I thought this would be a great show to do is I don't think there's anywhere out there on the web where the Hattibov material is explained from beginning to wherever you're at in your translation. And I think we should just go into it. Uh, go ahead and start explaining what it is you found from the beginning all the way up till now. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, kind of a quick overview, uh, just to give kind of a high-level sensibility of what, what this material is, is hinting at. Um, it's ultimately a grand scheme of an alien intervention on the solar system and on the Earth. Um, so just to kind of give the overview, there existed a time in humanity's history where the current moon did not exist um, in 1837 B.C. Uh, a convoy of planets infected our solar system. 
Um, at this point in time, you basically have a, an alien race called the Ebrov um, moving into our solar system and embedding its land management system on the solar system and on planet Earth. Uh, this alien race originated from the Sir 4 star, the Big Dipper. Um, further research indicates that it's the uh, star Magres, which is in Ursa Major. Um, you can actually see that at night uh, through a telescope. Uh, Earth, having the resources and being hospital, was not able to defend itself from the alien race. Uh, this race is this alien race is very parasitic in nature, and because at this point in time they wanted to evolve into a higher conscious being, they chose the human race. So, uh, at that point in time, uh, the intervention is uh, fully uh, completed by the Ebrov. The Ebrov then go on to experiment with humanity. Uh, the end game to this experimentation is to merge the arachnid brain with a human body. Um, and ever since this time, uh, this, this race has been the ruling class of the world. So at a very high level, you've got an alien race coming into the solar system, um, and it's implementing this fantastic, very detailed, very nuanced land management system, which is ultimately taking the arachnid brain, placing it in the human body, and then making it the superior ruling class of uh, planet Earth. So... Now, now do they mean that physically, literally, or is it more of a almost like a possession kind of thing? It's not a possession thing. It's actually more of a physical uh, emergement. So the idea behind this is that this arachnid brain, this Ebrov brain and consciousness existed at a lower octave. Um, and I think it's at 31, 32 octave. And they chose humanity because the human brain, human consciousness, human spirituality existed at a higher octave. So through the course of some 16,000 years, um, and we can get into kind of the timeline of that later, uh, they've successfully merged this, this brain with a body. So it, it took multiple years of experimentation, death, um, and re-experimentation to make this happen. This would have happened thousands of years ago and then working towards modern times? It would have. Uh, it actually began, uh, just to give... Some background here, it began in 18,344 B.C. Um, once the Ebrov had basically taken over the Earth, it destroyed the existing systems of control that were on this planet. Now, prior to this, uh, there is mention that humanity itself has imported to planet Earth 145,000 years uh, prior to today. So humanity, and unfortunately there's no discussion as to who or what placed the hu human uh, species on this planet. How about where they came from, we came from? Yeah, and that, that's not actually discussed either. Um, really, all that's mentioned in the research is that Earth is an artificially created planet. Um, it contained a system of controls through complexes and pyramids. Um, and then humanity was imported here 145,000 years ago. So that is humanity. I, for whatever reason you want to call it, we were just a species on this planet doing our own thing. Around 45,000 B.C., uh, the Orion Stewardship Cluster Group took interest in our species and took ownership of, ownership of us. So at that point in time, they basically came in, uh, decided that they were going to uh, focus humanity towards an end game, a specific goal. So they utilized the existing system of control that was on this planet, the uh, land management system, again, for a back-of-letter phrase, uh, and more or less engineered where humanity was going to end up. In 26,000 B.C., uh, at that point in time, the Abrovsky decided to move towards the Earth. So 
at that time, the, it took about 8,500 years for them to go from the Magres star to this solar system. Um, again, they somehow were aware that the humanity had existed at a higher consciousness. Uh, the Ebrov was a dying species of alien, so they basically converged on our solar system in order to take possession of humanity and of our, the existing land management system. So in 18,000, roughly 18,000 BC, the Ebrov began the attack on the cluster. Uh, the literature at this point in time is <clears throat> stating that Orion was passing ownership to the Sirius uh, civilization, and in this transfer, the uh, solar system was more or less fairly weak. And so not being able to defend itself, this gave the Ebrov the ability and the um, weakness to attack and infest the solar system. So... You now have the Ebrov that is basically infecting the solar system. Um, it mentions that this isn't a Hollywood-style battle, but it rather takes place over the course of a thousand years. <clears throat> and the key to the Earth's cluster supersystem is the planet Phaeton. Um, at that point in time, the Ebrov infests Phaeton. Phaeton blows itself up, and with it, it kills some of this Ebrov attack force. So... Phaeton now exists as the meteoroid belt that's between Mars and uh, Jupiter. So that is what the research is indicating. Uh, at, so now you have uh, basically the Ebrov have taken control of the solar system. They destroy all of the systems of control on all the planets. So that hints that there was life on Mars, uh, other planets in the solar system, and they've discontinued all of this uh, life in the solar system. Now, where is the Russian researcher claiming to be getting the information from in the first place? Uh, that's an interesting uh, thought there. It's hinted at an autobiography that was placed online. Uh, the scientist, the alleged scientist, was a engineering specialist. He researched uh, oil and uh, fossil fuels for the Soviet Union. And he was doing some research in 1985 over in the Middle East, um, at that point in time, he went on strike. There was some discussion of him having kind of a wage issue with his uh, management group. And he used an uh, engineering program that basically did some deep, uh, uh, I don't know how you would put it, like a linear algebra, some sort of a mathematic calculation that was used for figuring out where to drill. He used this equipment, and then he discovered this these underground um, facilities, these underground control complexes and so forth. So he more or less discovered this existing system through the use of um, drilling engineering equipment. That they discovered alien underground facilities? It would be alien, yes. Um, it would be uh, stuff that was placed by the Ebrov uh, 20,000 years ago or whatnot. Were they active? Were there aliens in it? No aliens in it per se. Um, there is some discussion that there are UFOs that are below the surface of the Earth, and that's kind of a mix of aliens and humans uh, and robots and so forth. But really, uh, he more or less just found the, the control complexes, and from that he was able to derive this overarching land management system that runs the, the planet. Okay, so he's saying that these things were found, and did this company get it to the Soviet Union, or what, what was the reaction? I mean, this, that's kind of an astounding find. It is, um, you know, and there's some discussion at that point in time that all of that was handed off to Israel. Um, he was then moved to kind of a psych psychotronic weapons division uh, with the USSR, and at that point in time, he continued to 
dabble with technology regarding uh, psychotronic weaponry. It does make mention that he did something in the late 80s as well where he um, had some regrets, and I don't know if that had to do with some sort of development of technology or what. There's not a whole lot of detail on that. Um, Would that be involving mind control? Uh, it could be, yes. My, uh, psychotronic, as far as I can tell, would be the use of manipulation of minds, human minds, for uh, different agendas. Did he say he, he was working on that because of possible technological discoveries in these underground facilities? It doesn't say that explicitly, but it, it would be inferred through that, yes. Yes. Um, the key to all of this is the idea of an octave, and the idea of an octave is that it does multiple... Uh, it has multiple motives and multiple functions, and it, and it can generate different returns on humans, on populations of insects, and so forth. So it's uh, it's inferred that he's been able to take this technology and utilize it for the uh, Soviet uh, army. Interesting. Now, he's whoever this person was is now supposed to be deceased. Yes. Yep. Two dates out there. There's like a 2008 and then a 2011 date that it's hinted that he was killed. Um, it doesn't come out outright and say that he was assassinated, but there's another individual um, who's kind of, from what I can gather, a radical over in Russia, and his name was Nikolai Levishov. And there's an allegation online that Hadibo was murdered, similar to another Russian individual thinker by the name of Levishov. So no concrete proof on that, but it does indicate that he was possibly assassinated because of his knowledge. I don't know what he was going to do with it or whatnot, but it does state at some point that all of his research was turned over to the Israeli government, um, and uh, that was the extent of that. Any idea why it would be the Israeli government and not the former Soviet Union? That I don't know. Um, you know, it, it could very well be misinformation. Uh, you could potentially state that everything is kept by the Soviet Union and that technology is still being employed by the Russians. Uh, that isn't um, quite clear. Um, but what kind of is clear in respect to all of this is that there's a lot of information. I think some 16,500 pages of information that he had published. And right now we've probably got at most 200 pieces of paper on that. So uh, where all of that went, multiple times in all of this information that's posted online, there's references to different books. Like see appendix regarding cold fusion or see appendix regarding uh, communications with God. And unfortunately, those don't seem to exist online at this point in time. Where do they exist online? Like the stuff that is posted, where is it located? It's considered, it's, um, it's like a Russian Federation scientific database. Um, it's kind of hard to navigate. I don't know if it's an official one, but it claims to be part of the Russian scientific community. Uh, I have got a link on my blog so people can kind of go out there, and I've always tried to put that out there so people can read and dig into the information as well. Um, but I couldn't speak to the validity of where these of the website that's hosting the research that is available. Um, so, like everything else with the Hattie Bow situation, it's all very mysterious and very uh, haphazard. And that is the only place that is located. It is yes. There is another site called uh, Salvatorum, I believe, and again, that's on my blog too. This appears to be another offshoot of maybe Russian researchers and so forth. I've, I've spoken to them and didn't get a whole lot of information out of them, but they also have some links regarding the work of Hattie Bow, and they seem to be exclusively focused on this Nikolai Levishov as well. So there is another site out there, um, again, to the validity or what it actually represents. I, I don't know who's sponsoring it or who originated the website. 
Now, is Howdy, Howdy Bell doing this himself? He was the one posting it, or is this a collection of his works? A collection of his works. Um, from what I can tell from this website, this is, again, the um, Salvatorum website. He's almost a hero. He's uh, the savior of humanity. He's kind of worshipped as maybe a messiah that was able to intervene with this Ebrav land system and saved humanity. So, uh, again, this could all be science fiction, disinformation. Your guess is really good, as good as mine. Sure. Now, and there's also no direct indication that this person was even real. Exactly. Exactly. This could be a collection of scientists. This could be um, a science fiction writer. This could be a mad scientist. I mean, again, I, 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 one of the reasons I've actually wanted to put this out there and do a couple of interviews and get this blog going was the hope that somebody would put me in contact with somebody who may have actually known this individual or a group of people that may have actually worked with him in the past. And at this point in time, I haven't had that uh, luck. I kind of keep getting various random Russian transcripts sent to me, um, but it's very difficult to, to vet that information and to know whether or not that's actually uh, a true document from this Alexander Khatib or if it's just another uh, fanfare or fan fiction that somebody put together and thought it'd be fun to send over to me. Now, because you've been putting this information out on the web for English speakers, so more people have probably been accessing it. Yes. Have you been getting any attention? Anyone, like, have you been getting contacted by anyone? Not contacted per se. I've been getting a lot of uh, information, a lot of YouTube videos sent to me. Uh, the most recent rash of information that I got sent to me was this Black Goo uh, Spider Race uh, YouTube videos. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I think his name is Harald Vetzkeltner or something of the sort. He's a German researcher. And he is presenting information about a spider race that came to planet Earth in 80,000 B.C., not 18,000 B.C., and more or less the key to humanity and running the, the world is this black goo matter, which exists below the surface of the Earth. I'm, I don't know if you've seen any of the YouTube videos on that. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, I would check it out. I mean, it, this, this black goo is supposed to be intelligent. It's supposed to react when it's in the presence of other black goo. But, I mean, when you look at it, it looks kind of like cranberry jelly in a can <laughs> food coloring, and it's shaking. So there's some incredible claims regarding it, but there's no actual video footage of this black goo reacting as they say that this black goo is supposed to react. So that was an interesting thing. You know, you could that could be very well be disinformation, too. I don't know. It's interesting that Crow initially put this stuff out there when he got the lunar wave attention, um, and then... Now we've got this spider race that has this black goo, and that kind of came out. So it's been interesting to see how all of this stuff relating to spiders and aliens has progressed over the last year and a half. Right. Now, Crow and the lunar wave that he got, how is all this information, how, do, how does it correlate with each other? So there the idea is that when, uh, when uh, Crow put that out there, he was contacted by a group of Russians who said, just so you know, there was a Russian scientist by the name of Katib Alexander, Hattie Bow. He did an article regarding the lunar moon, um, and there's some correspondence and some correlations between what you filmed and what this scientist was talking about. So that was the, the beginning of that connection between Crow, Triple uh, Seven, and the Hattie Bow stuff. Um, and that's when I, again, kind of got involved with it, um, put together a, a quite lengthy post on the super system system and subsystem of the EBROV land management system, and then Crow reached out to me and just said, hey, thanks for doing that. It's a good entry for English-speaking pe English people to kind of get into this this research. 
But in regards to the actual lunar wave itself, there's a couple of opportunities there for um, explanation that comes directly from Hattie Bowe's lunar moon uh, article. The moon itself really isn't the moon as we see it. There's quite a few different things going on with it from this perspective. Um, I kind of summarized in the moon post called a Soviet-styled lunar moon. Uh, The lunar wave could potentially be a couple of things. It could be um, a radiation impulse. Um, In the research, there's discussion that the moon is basically downloading programs to Earth, and these programs basically generate different uh, weather patterns. They could generate different population uh, controls, uh, birth rates. Uh, Again, going back to mosquitoes, mosquitoes comes up quite a bit in the Hattie Bow research, and I don't know if he's literally talking about mosquitoes or if mosquitoes would be a symbol for something else. Um, So you have this radiation power that comes off of the surface of the moon. So to begin with, we were all taught that the moon basically reflects light off of the sun, and that's what we see. What he's arguing in his research is that the moon actually emits light waves. It actually emits a light, and that is what is basically uh, what we are seeing in the night sky is light being radiated off of the the source being the lunar moon, and it's radiated to the planet Earth. So would it be that the the hologram, for lack of a better word, that we're seeing, that Crow seems to have caught the refresh rate of? Exactly. That's what's actually, that in itself is emitting light. It could, it, it could, it's a potential um, possibility. Uh, it could be communication to the planet Earth, too. There's, there's specific times that the research is indicating that the moon is speaking to the uh, programming of planet Earth. So... There seems to be a very conical shape to this transmission from the moon to the planet Earth. So if you can imagine a cone coming from the moon to Earth, it would be in a region very specific to the region. So one of the things that Crow has been trying to attempt to confirm is, you know, if the lunar wave happens and he spots it in California, can somebody simultaneously view it at that same exact time in Houston, Texas, uh, Germany, China? You know, these are all questions that... Is there like a timing to it? Is it, or is it regionally specific? Um, these are things that, are, that this group of researchers that have kind of come into contact, they're trying to attempt to prove out at this point in time. Have they come up with anything? They have not. They're still working on it. Um, it seems to be getting some track. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the funds to go out and get some of the equipment that these guys have been working with. I'd love to. You know, maybe if I win the lottery or whatever, I can <laughs> do that full time. But. Um, it's fascinating. You know, I don't really know what to make of the lunar wave. It, it still could be some unknown atmospheric um, phenomenon. But uh, the fact that it's been caught in several locations seems to always come in pairs. There always seems to be one wave followed by the other. Um, and it's also very interesting that mass science has really gotten after uh, Crow's work. I'm not sure if you saw the clip regarding his Pluto um, Basically, he was stating that the coverage, NASA's coverage of the Pluto flyover, where they filmed the surface of the planet Pluto, it must have been a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. But it got picked up by Newsweek, and there was kind of a smear campaign right away to discount it. So, Well, he's pretty much been trying to prove that everything we've been shown by NASA, at least, is false. Yeah, and I think there's some validity to it. I mean... The fact that he can go out and capture Saturn, or you and I can go out and capture a great image of Saturn if you have a clear night, and the best that NASA can do is, you know, this spotty photograph of the surface of, the, of Mars or, or what. I mean, I think there's some validity to it. Um, 
What it all means, I don't know. Uh, you know, this goes back to the idea that Earth is potentially a closed system. You have the radiation belt that exists in upper atmosphere, or upper orbit, and you know, potentially humans can't get through it. Machines might not be able to get through it. I mean, unfortunately, never been up there, so I, I can't speak to it myself. But uh, well, my big question now with all of that, because I've heard that said by a lot of people, the private companies that are now starting to do space travel. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're discovering things that government-controlled space agencies weren't revealing, what are they seeing? Yeah, that I don't know. I mean, I wasn't uh, – remember there was a group out of Vegas. I think he was part of that Skinwalker Ranch buyout. He was a, kind of a billionaire that owned a couple of casinos in Las Vegas. Is that Bob Bigelow. Bigelow, yeah. I think Bigelow had the, the air program or the space program. Um, and I don't know. You know, you don't – we're not privy to that, what their findings are. It's all privately held and at the mercy of some corporation. And So I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I'd love to be able to say I could fly up outer space and let everybody know what's actually going on up there, but fortunately that's not a possibility. Well, I'm just kind of throwing it out there that the more private individuals start doing these sorts of things, we're going to start seeing, you would think you'd start seeing different results. Yeah, you would hope so, or maybe they just hit a, a flag, too. I thought I had read that the, the big uh, record guy, didn't he have some massive setback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was an explosion. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I hope, you know, that they can yield some results and are willing to share it with the public, but it could all very well just be part of the ploy and the, the fact that at the end of the day we can't escape and this is just a continuation uh, rather than, you know, taxpayer financing this as a privately uh, – finance ruse going forward and this, it, I, I don't know I don't want to claim that we're stuck on this planet but um, right. some of the evidence that's been caught here of late is, is very interesting and I think it's kind of eye opening well I, I know one of the big things is the accuracy of the pictures we've been sh- shown of earth yeah yes and that alone makes me go okay so what is going on here <laughs> yeah that's the one thing they keep bringing up is that there's this one photo that's constantly used to show the earth and Again, why, why are they doing that? I, I don't know. Well, again, Crow says that um, a lot of the images, not just of Earth, but other planetoids we've been shown are all computer-generated composite images. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the Pluto one. I mean, going back to that Pluto one, there was this, uh, an artist in like 1978, 1979 that did a visual uh, piece of art depicting what the planet Pluto looked like, and at that time, nobody had any idea really what it looked like. Right. If you put that up side by side with the NASA images, I mean, it's fairly close. It's pretty close, yeah. I saw all that. Yeah, so I, I don't know what's going on. You know, maybe maybe there really are satellites flying around out there, and I, I would hope so. Um, but, you know, getting back even to the Hattie Bow research, you, you start to think there's discussion that everything's going to die off. I mean, that because we were lost and more or less the original Orion civilization isn't able to basically save us, that humanity is basically programmed to cease within the next 150 to 200 years. So, It says that right in the papers? It, it just mentions that uh, with the, there was a couple of things that happened where Hattiebo was running some interference programs, at least again, this is all, you know, allegations and potentially fiction, but he was supposed to have started a series of interference programs in 1985, and in that paper he talks about reincarnation, how uh, the elite had been using reincarnation since the year 0 AD, 
um, and that he stopped that in 2012. There were supposed to be some children of the sun that were imported to the planet Earth, and he scattered that. He prevented that from happening with some interference programs he embedded into this land management system. And there's at that point in time, there's discussion that the idea was that the elite could more or less take the uh, would be taking the format of like a new genotype reincarnation would no longer be needed. The Ebrov at that point in time would basically discover the kind of a missing link in the human DNA that allows for people to live eternally. So reincarnation is no longer needed. This elite can live forever. They can consolidate wealth. They can consolidate resources. And ultimately, all of us are no longer needed. They've done what they were originally set to design. They've now ruled the class. There's a smaller population. Uh, this is going to be humanity going forward. So if you're not part of Genotype 460, uh, you're pretty much shit out of luck, I think. So that's <laughs> kind of what the paper is hinting at. Well, that kind of works into the whole eugenics transhumanism program that a lot of more mainstream conspiracy people talk about. You know, they're going to wipe us out, and they're going to merge with machines and become godlike. You more or less become part of like a cloud, right? Um, is that what they always say that Google's been working on is being able to... Right. Upload consciousness into a cloud type situation. Right, and then they would be eternal, and they don't need us anymore. We're we're the old. We're 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 what's not necessary anymore. Yeah, um, that's what he's saying in this paper, more or less. You know, a couple of us will be left around because they're going to need more or less servants and maintenance workers, I guess. Yes, exactly, and that's the term that he uses: maintenance. They're going to need. Oh, really? So, uh, so that's kind of the area of the research where it gets a little bit murky. Um, Again. It, there's, it gets to the point where it's almost absurd. So you talk about in 2006 this genotype coming online on planet Earth, and this genotype, whether it be the royal family or whoever, this this golden million of our population, they can now live eternally. There's no reason for reincarnation. So in like 2007, there's an interesting paper that is also on this link of sites. It's under a humor category and it talks about having a fire sale of these jackets so the flesh jackets were used more or less by the the ruling class so because they couldn't figure out how humans can live for an indefinite amount of time when the brain died it would exit the flesh jacket our bodies and then it would get re-implanted into a new flesh jacket so that was the way for this ruling class this arachnid brain that's in the human body again to kind of continue forward with their progress, to have kind of a continued ruling class. When 2006 happened and there was a modification to the land management system where they figured out how to let humans live for an extended period of time or for an eternal period of time, I should say you could more or less in this paper say for $1.6 billion, $1.5 billion, you could buy a flesh jacket on Easter of 2007. Um, And you could even use a MasterCard. So, I mean, it it gets pretty far out there. But there's an idea that if you wanted to be stay on this planet, if you want to continue to live, and you can use this reincarnation cycle um, that is no longer needed by the ruling classes, but it was going to cost you $1.5 billion. <laughs> and where was this being advertised at? Um, I don't know where it was being advertised. There was just a, a, a humorous article stating that on Easter of 2007, people with money you could more or less go in and buy a jacket and you can have infinite life you're going to have to be reincarnated and so forth but um that's your only option to continue if you want to go because uh the ebrov have done what they've needed they've figured out eternal life and the rest of us are 
essentially going to be extinguished at some point in time in the future. Interesting. Now, getting back to the Hattie Bowl material, these were individual papers written about specific subjects, right? Exactly, exactly. Was there any order to them? Like, he was putting things out in a specific order that you need to know this so that the next one can come out and then, you know, continue on? No, no, there's really no order whatsoever. It's just a hodgepodge. Um, that's kind of where you, and then on top of that, like we had talked earlier, there's a sensibility that somebody's gone in after the fact and inserted different ideas and different, uh, maybe rewritten some of the information. Um, and then on multiple times, there's references, please see this appendix regarding cold fusion or see this appendix regarding um, celestial mechanics, and those don't appear to be online. So it's just more or less 25, 30 random papers. Again, if you put them all together, and this is kind of what I've been able to do, I just really threw them into a Word document after they were translated to English, and then I searched on key terms and then just kind of compiled it. So it's been reading and rereading and rereading. Um, you know, I probably read that, all of those pieces of information for six months and really didn't even pick up on the reincarnation. I mean, this last week I've been trying to get another post out on the idea of reincarnation and how it fits into this system. Um, and suddenly it starts to click because you've just looked at the information and you're like, okay, this part A that I read about here that made no sense before, it's finally starting to register in context of the grander terminology being used and the grander hypothesis that's being put forth. Now, does the material seem cohesive to itself that it is consistent with what the different varying papers mention? Does it seem like it's sticking to its own logic? It does. It does. And that's, and it, there's a, and I, as I said, mentioned before, too, there's a lot of math that seems to be legitimate. So it's the one thing that makes me think that there's some truth to it. Again, where truth begins and where the literature figures or the, the fantastic the allegorical symbolism begins, I don't know. But there's definitely an overarching theme to all of this. Um, and it is consistent paper by paper. Okay, now does he make mention that he was working with anyone else that could possibly be tracked down? Like, I worked at this location, or I did this here or there, maybe for a company, or who's even handling these papers now that they're putting them on, on online? Yeah, there's mention that he had worked for, um, let me find it here, there was a company called the Oil Institute of Samara. He was also supposed to come out of the Bauman Moscow State Technical University. So, I mean, that's a possibility that if somebody knew somebody at that university, there would potentially be records on hand of this individual who attended. Um, he had re he apparently graduated in 1969, and he received you know multiple degrees in math, physics, chemistry, biology, medicine. Um, so there's a couple of things that are hinted on, but, uh, again, um, I don't have access to actually being able to research or do any due diligence that that information out. So the idea here next would be to try and validate just the existence of this individual and where this information may be coming from. Exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, it's happy that you know, yourself has reached out and a couple of other people just to get the message out. You know, I, I really don't have a problem if it's if it ends up being all BS, so be it. You know, I, I was happy to put this stuff together and at least have an open mind in regards to it. But um, If it's a hoax, it's an elaborate hoax. It's very much so, yes. I mean, just from what you've described to me already, you've had to put in countless hours just to get as far as you have, and you probably haven't even gotten through a lot of it yet, right? I would say I still have 50% of the material to make sense of, to be honest. It's, right, so that's a lot. It is, and, and I think just the, the fact that the, the way the Russian language is, I don't speak Russian uh, 
naturally or I never learned it, but I think there was a, a sentence, very, very much so there's like a sentence construction that's very different from English. So when you plop it into a translator, it kind of spits it out. So you have to kind of work through the translation problem to begin with, and then you have to put together the different pieces in multiple papers to make sense of it. But So you've just been doing everything through computer translation and then hoping for the best to, for it to make sense to you in English. Exactly, exactly. It's the best I can do at this point in time, and the, you know I've always brought up if I, anybody's got feedback, criticism, constructive criticism, or you know if I miss something, I'm more than happy to be, have an open mind to all of this. And where where does the material where you're at in your translation where is it leading towards? Well, right now it's uh, so I've got a sense of the hum, the progress of humanity that goes back to the discussion on the Ebrov intervention. Um, I've been able to work through the genotype progress. Um, that again is where there's some experimentation that took place prior to uh, 6,000 BC or so, uh, where they finally got the arachnid brain to merge with humanity. Um, once that was accomplished, it's a matter of setting up civilization. So it's doing two things. It's, it's figuring out how the ruling class needs to be on this planet, given the parameters of this planet and the Ebrov brain. Um, it progresses through multiple genotypes, where in each genotype, each successive genotype, I should say, becomes the ruling class and subservient genotypes become uh, the lesser class. So you've got this this pyramid, this hierarchy that's been uh, moving forward since, I want to say, six, uh, 3000 B.C. or something like that. And let me let me make sure I get that right. Again, I apologize. There's a lot of information out here. But I think we started genotype 423 around 1605 B.C. So the genotype discussion goes um, kind of simultaneously happening. You've got the sun, you've got satellites of different planets, the moon. These are all integral parts of this land management system, and they all have very unique roles in uh, sending programs to Earth uh, in order to make this ruling class advance. Um, you've also got feedback that goes back to these uh, moons, these the sun, the lunar moon, um, and it sets the feedback against like a predetermined program, makes adjustments and sends it back. So you've got this continual um, idea of feedback transmission, feedback transmission, and so forth. And all of these little components of the of the system and the super system are basically advancing a ruling class. It's ultimately just trying to set a ruling class up that will have eternal life, will have consolidation of wealth, resources, and power. Um, and the rest of us are really no longer needed. So I think that's where all of this research is ultimately going. All right, so taking from the material you've seen so far, where do you think this is all going? What do you think you haven't uncovered yet? Does it seem to all be leading in a particular direction? It does. It, it seems to be leading to the idea that uh, there's going to be the formation of an elite ruling class, if it hasn't already happened, um, that, that there is currently an incomplete ruling class that more or less controls all of the wealth, resources, the planet, um, and so forth. Well, this works into the whole New World Order thing that everybody's always talking about anyway. It does, it does. And that there's direct physical evidence of. I mean, they, you can just Google News, New World Order, and you'll see that there's major players on the global field saying these things. Exactly, exactly. And whether this is actually the, the basis of it, I mean, is this really an arachnid brain that was implanted into humanity some you know, 16,000 years ago? I don't know. but There is the odd uh, sculpture outside of Rockefeller Plaza. 
It, this is the one I think um, is in multiple locations, right? Yeah, it's it's like a big black spider-looking thing. It is in multiple locations. The one that always pops in my head is Rockefeller, but yeah, okay, yeah. I was when I was researching all of this stuff. There's a couple of Russian forums I was on, and there was this clip that I think it was on YouTube. I didn't put it on my blog, but I think it showed multiple spider sculptures, and in the uh, the, the egg area, the the underbelly. There's like a globe in all of them, and he was really he was stating that those are nuclear detonators. Huh? I, you would think you could actually walk up to that though with like a radiation detector or something like that. You would think you would be able to pick up. I have no idea, but there's That's a. Insane. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I have to find that again. I didn't save that link, but I'll forward it over to you. Yeah, yeah, I'd be very interested in seeing that. I'd never even conceived that they were anything other than an artistic sculpture, representing like like so many things with the elite, symbolically putting something out there to justify like hey we're in control exactly because they do that everywhere like they have their symbols everywhere and most people don't know have any idea whatsoever what they mean exactly yeah just kind of a slap in the face to the rest of us right and i always reckon it to gang signs like marking their territory like hey this is ours we control this yeah that's a very very good possibility some of the research i'd like to do down the road after we get through all of this is look at the um I believe it's called the, the dark state and there's a couple of websites that get into it and it's the idea that these elites actually have infighting and when you have a S&P 500 for instance collapse you know a, a percentage point on a day and there's panic and blah 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 that's like one part of the family that's deliberately manipulated the market to cause the other elite family some financial harm yes yeah, I've heard talk about things like that, that that they're not even I mean they have kind of an overall goal mm-hmm. which is basically screwing us but they do have infighting, and the other thing I've come to understand from multiple sources is that the younger generations aren't quite of the same mind as the older, as I like to call them, the creepy old men. Mm. They seem to have a slightly different viewpoint. It could very well be a possibility. That was one of the repeating themes, too, with the elite. Um, when these successive genotypes would more or less get put into place, there was always talk that they would self-destruct on one another. And it goes back to the idea that this Ebra, this arachnid, is very violent in nature and it can never be at peace. So even though you have an elite group, the arachnid brain is constantly at fight with one another by its nature. Because, again, it's this lower form of consciousness in the universe that feeds off of um, conflict, violence, destruction, and so forth. Now, this is interesting. Is there... A pretty lengthy description of this alien race. Um, there's bits and pieces. It's, there's not an overall consensus description of it. Um, there's just talk that it was a spider race um, at one point in time during a, the proto testing of merging the brain with the, the human body. Um, humans were like 1.8 meters in height, and the spider race was two to four meters in height. Wow. That would have been, again, 20,000 B.C. or 18,000 B.C. That's what the, the literature is stating. Um, and, and when I say the literature is stated, I should probably clarify that. There's, in one of the blogs that I talk about some of these historical periods of time, um, I've utilized a couple of other sources like the Salvatorum website and um, a couple of forums in Russia that quote Hattie Bow material. So as I said in the blog, I'm making the assumption that these people had knowledge in some of these original documents that Hattie Bo had. Um, and you know, it does fit the overarching pieces in what is considered to be true, authentic Hattie Bo material online. 
but it's a crapshoot. It could all just be very false, but there does seem to be a, a connection. Things do seem to tie out, for instance, with the genotypes. There's really no discussion specifically about the development of genotypes in the Hattie Bow material, but he's got a Hattie Bow's material has an article called um, A Fairy Tale for Children, and he discusses the various Hattie Bow, or sorry, the various genotypes in more or less um, acronyms, and they fit perfectly with what's being discussed elsewhere. So that's kind of my, I had to make a couple of uh, leaps just to put some sort of context and overall mythology or an overall chronology to this whole um, Ebrov intervention and how we got from point A to point B. So that's, some of this stuff isn't necessarily, and when you go into the blog, you'll see that I'll call out what, where I've had to make some assumptions based on other people's material. What is his nickname supposed to mean? That I don't know. Um, I, again, nobody has really told me who this guy is or even if he existed. I, I don't know. Uh, there is a website, on the, or I should say there's a Yahoo address, or a, I'm sorry, not Yahoo, a Yandex RU email address, and it's called Hattie Bow. It's H-A-T-I-B-O at Yandex.ru. I did try to email it, didn't get anything back, figured why not. Um, uh, but I think the idea is that was his nickname, Hattie Bow, within his uh, scientific circles. It'd be interesting to find out what meaning that has. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, maybe if you've got some Russian li- Russian uh, listeners or, you know, people that may have some uh, information regarding this, it'd be great to hear from them, to be honest. I do have some in mind I'm going to bring that up to. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be awesome. Were the papers all written just by him, or were there other contributing scientists like he that he may have been working with at the time? Um, that I couldn't speak to. Um, what what I think is undoctored seems to be pretty consistent. The, the way that the phrases are put together, uh, the scientific uh, notations regarding different mathematical constants and um, things regarding orbits of planets and so forth, that all seems to be very consistent. Um, I think on those original 25 to 30 documents, I think it's an original author, but again, it does feel like somebody's gone in after the fact and modified a couple of things. And if you look at it long enough, that stuff typically stands out. You'll just jump from a thought process talking about um, the royal family, for instance, being able to reincarnate through a car crash. They don't have to worry because they're going to reincarnate, and then there will be a segment regarding uh, the Zion movement and how it utilizes uh, the reincarnation thing. So it does feel like somebody's gone in after the fact and maybe modified it for a specific agenda, but that's kind of the, the risk with all of this is you just don't know because you don't know what the original material looked like to begin with. Right. Now, do we know why he was writing these papers in the first place and who they were meant for? I think they were meant for uh, scientific uh, papers, to be honest. I think they were supposed to be peer reviewed papers. Um, and again, there were supposed to be 16,500 some pages and we're really only seeing uh, maybe less than a percentage of them. So these could be extracts, abstracts that were pulled out. Um, it feels like some of these are maybe partial chapters or one chapter out of a longer book. Um, but the sense I get personally is that these were peer reviewed scientific papers for some sort of ac- academy in the Soviet Union. So is there a person or an organization that are the holders of this information and they're releasing it a bit at a time? They're supposed to be. That goes back to that salvatorum.ru site. Again, there's, they were supposed to bring stuff out, but I haven't seen any updates on that website. So I, 
I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I don't know if people are keeping it hostage. My sense, too, is that when I started putting this, some of these blogs out there, there was quite a bit of traffic from Russia. Um, so maybe somebody picked up on the fact that I was personally writing about this and is now going to utilize that to make maybe sell some books or something down the road. I don't know. Huh. Um, but, you know, uh, there were a couple of initial Crow documents that he had forwarded to me once I had published the first one on the super system and system on my blog. Um, and a couple of links that he had given me no longer work. So it was almost as if they were erased off of a server or what. But there was some information regarding Hattie Bo's personal life. Um, I want to say there was some. There was a website that was linking a cube, cubic uh, formation that was behind the moon. Um, that was a link that no longer worked either. So, sadly, I've heard that said in other UFO conspiratorial information. Yes, yeah, I've heard of that in the Saturn research, um, right? But I had not heard that with the moon, and I haven't seen the cube per se uh, through the Google translations. I've, there's a lot of discussion about cubes in regards to the building blocks of humanity, DNA, and uh, different lattices of the atmosphere that act as like a medium for these octaves to come off of both the sun and the moon and various satellites, but nothing that specifically says there's a cube uh, behind the lunar moon. Right. Now, how long ago were these put up on the website you keep going to to get the information? Uh, that I don't know. There's no date on that, so I, um, I'm not able to talk to that. I I really only found that after that interview, I think, in April of, of this year, earlier this year. So I'm not sure when those documents were actually placed online. Is there anyone to contact regarding any of this? I did. I did contact an individual on the salvatore.ru site. Um, and I was just being honest. said I was a researcher from the States getting into this, and he wanted to know if I had any scientific credentials. And I was honest and just said, I, I don't. You know, I'm, I don't have a PhD in anything of the sort. And the conversation died so uh i've made some attempts but i haven't had much luck speaking to anybody that belongs to this federal russian scientific site so so if you know of any phds out there uh, let them contact them maybe they'll talk to you and share some more information right as far as taking this further the the couple things i see are definitely getting some actual russian-speaking people to lend assistance Mm -hmm. checking the validity of the mathematics in the papers that would be huge. Yep. I think that would be, yeah, absolutely huge and see if it actually makes sense with anything mainstream physics or anything like that, you know. And then also to see who could we get in contact with the organization that the information is being posted from to see was this person real? Is there, What more is there? What's really going on here? What, why was this being done in the first place? And see if... if huge leaps can be made because if if any of this, I mean, if even 10% of this is even remotely accurate, that's a game changer uh, as far as everyday life is concerned. It is. It is. uh, I mean, our reality is basically a manipulation of various plasma. That's the idea that everything is highly organized plasma and octaves. um, And there's multiple functions regarding octaves, but that's generating the material reality around us. It includes ourselves, our bodies, our flesh jackets. Um, But at the end of the day, there's supposed to be a, a soul or a spiritual energy attached to humanity. Um, and that's ultimately what the Ebrav were interested in converting uh, into their, with their mind. So it, it's definitely a big game changer. I mean, the fact that you've got spiders running around, I mean, some of this stuff even goes the way of uh, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. You've got trapped energies that are in these object type 440s 
um, a specific type of UFO that was utilized at the pre-dawn of this Ebrov-Arachnid human hybrid. Um, and it basically was utilized to set up uh, patterns of human behavior, setting up uh, languages, setting up tents where you would have uh, specific groups of people that shared um, similar responses to the environment, to the food source, and, and so forth. So it gets kind of into that level of detail. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, know what, don't know what to say about the, the other stuff. Now, there's several camps as far as what's really going on. There's one real extreme that nothing in the heavens is real, we're living on a flat earth, and that everything is controlled. Basically, we're in a giant Truman show. That's one huge extreme. Then there's kind of like an in-between where it's the universe is real, but the earth is just a construct. Then there's kind of the other end of it where we can't leave everything NASA has been showing us and all the other space agencies, it's all fake. And then there's an, an extreme on that side, which is saying, yeah, they're showing us fake stuff, but what's really going on is they have super high technology compared to everyday life, and they're on the moon and on Mars already. Yeah, yep. So it's, you really can't prove any of this, really. No, no. You know, the, I think the flat Earth argument is interesting. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think, uh, I think there's maybe more uh, general relativity relativity physics involved i mean there I, I do believe that if you're in a spot on the planet and there's a stronger uh, gravitational pull for whatever reason or there's something has changed that what you see may come off as the flat earth but it's not necessarily that we live on a flat earth it's just that your perception your observation at that point due to some sort of a, a variable that's around you is kind of cause you to perceive something that is different than the spherical model. As far as, uh, for me personally, the, I think the key to all of it is this, this Van Allen radiation belt. And I think I think there was even a Mars uh, engineer from NASA that came out, and I think there was a video where he stated that the biggest problem to get to Mars was that they had to figure out how to get through this Van Allen radiation belt. Yeah, I've seen that. He just kind of said it, and then that was it. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's like, well, how, how do we not get there? Or how did we get to the moon, I should say, in 1969, right? Right. How was it already done? Yeah. So that and that's exactly the problem. You get little bits and pieces of things that make you go, wait, what? Exactly, exactly. And he just said it so naturally. Like, duh, you can't get past it. So, um, you know, and then you talk about some of that NASA film, uh, film footage, I think, of the original landing where it like, was accidentally erased. Somebody went in and deleted the original footage of the moon landing and so forth and then you start hearing well they did that because they know today people can photoshop stuff and they can easily figure out that it was a fake right landing and so forth well there's the huge camp that it was all done and stanley kubrick did it exactly which i find very interesting and i've got to say the circumstantial evidence is definitely fascinating i mean there there is no smoking gun um i know jay widener the researcher is really big on that and he himself says there's no smoking gun, but there is an insane amount of circumstantial evidence. And I've listened to, the, to, to all of what he puts out, and it's definitely interesting. It, it's something that should definitely make you scratch your head a little bit and go, maybe. I think so. You know, um, you know, we were talking earlier about some of the people that you deal with that don't have as open of a mind. I mean, if I were to bring up something like this with a coworker, their immediate response is, well, they had different computers in 1969. That's why they could get to them. <laughs> it, it's interesting to see people rationalize something that's officially stated today, something that would allegedly officially happen uh, 
what, 30, 40 some years ago. I think that, I think that's an interesting tell sign of, of humans and their unwillingness to maybe push the boundaries at some aspect. Well, I think uh, one way we could attempt as a truther community to test the validity of the NASA footage is look at all of the footage that has been officially released, not just with Apollo, but all the way back, you know, Mercury, Gemini, and all that. Look at all of it. Compare it. Does it seem consistent? That You know, they're supposed to be in low Earth orbit. Does the Earth look the same? Does it look like how it would if you're seeing it from the space station today? Compare it all. Mm-hmm. Does it does it look right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, I think that's what ultimately needs to happen. And somebody who is an expert in digital photography and videography, you know, dump it in the machine, go start analyzing it. Sure. See see what it looks like. And if there's glaring inconsistencies, well, again, not a smoking gun, but definitely leading credence to something's not right here. Exactly. I, and that's the kind of research. I mean, you've got these different fragments of people that are working independent of one another. You know, again, we were just talking about this. You know, it'd be great to get a collective group of researchers that want to freely share information on this whole idea of Hattie Bow and and his um, speculation. But you see that happening all the time when uh, like lunar hoax evidence and conspiracy theories. Everybody's just working independently. You know, and I'm sure that's by design. I'm sure if, if somebody really does know that the uh, moon landing was a hoax, they love it that you got 20 different groups working on this and they're they're fighting with each other because. One seems to think they have the real answer, and the other is wrong, and so forth. And you see it a lot in this field, a lot of infighting, you know, a lot of, as, as you mentioned before, egos and so forth. And I think that's a shame. It really gets in the way of really good uh, work and some really good ideas out there that kind of challenge the standard quo. Well, honestly, it's totally ridiculous. I mean, the whole point is being open-minded, and then you let your own ego get in the way because you think you have the right answer. Exactly. You don't have the answers. You have speculations with possible evidence to lean on your speculation exactly that's what we've got exactly until for instance you yourself can go up on a rocket ship and look down at the planet and go mm, that's pretty spherical mm-hmm. you none of us know because we don't have we're not privy to that so we all need to work together i mean we're not the rich elite where you could literally buy anything you want on the planet we have to work with our own meager resources and share information and try and come up with the best possible answers together. That's the way I've always felt about this. And that's one of the things I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is just putting information out there. It's free. Look at it. Add to it. Let's start a discussion. I, I actually started putting my email at the end of the show. I welcome people to contact me, and we should all be communicating. Everyone who's interested in this and wants to progress our own knowledge, we should all be working together. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hundred percent. It's the same thing with this. I mean, if anybody out there thinks I've got any of this wrong, I definitely am open to feedback. I don't pretend to have all the answers. Um, this, this stuff is dense. It's it's uh, it's very very confusing. It can get can get repetitive. You can find yourself running around in a circle where you think you got A figured out, and suddenly B comes along. And you're like, well, wait a second. I thought A was this, and now you're saying it's somehow B. So. Um, yeah, any other researchers out there working on this, I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to share bounce ideas. Or if you are indeed the only one, let's get some other people working on this, especially if you have some kind of Russian background. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, on my blog, I've got all the sites, and if people want to email me, I'll leave my email here at the end of this uh, interview. They're more than happy to, to share. Like I said, I've got I've got some PDFs from some what looked to be information all in Russian. 
Um, it's basically a photocopy of books that were sent to another individual, Matthew, um, who got a hold of me, and he doesn't know what to do with it. He's not Russian, and you have a PDF, and I don't know how to convert that into a Russian language. So, um, yeah, more the merrier. I'm, I'm all about sharing and trying to figure out what exactly all of this uh, information is leading to. Now, just out of curiosity, does the Hattie Bow material say that our solar system is real, that, you know, kind of has nothing to do with the flat Earth theory and that everything is fake? It does. It does. Um, there's, a very cu- there's a couple of very curious statements where he basically um, says that the Earth was flat before the Ebroff intervention. So it says that it was? It was flat, yep. Um, huh. And it stood on like three elephants or three pillars and that there were lights hanging off of the side. Um, once the Ebroff uh, intervened, they made it a spherical object. So um, it's kind of an interesting take. You know, you have an idea that maybe the space-time dynamics were converted over once the Ebrov and the moon and the sun. So, again, the original solar system and the Hattie-Bow material is the Earth and Mercury um, all the way through uh, Neptune. And I don't think he mentions Pluto, but I could be wrong on that. Um, And really no satellites. So the Ebrov basically brought along the sun, the moon, um, and then they brought along multiple satellites that are now positioned around other planets in the solar system. So that that much is pretty much uh, stated in his material. Um, but again, before the Ebrav showed up, the Earth was flat. Now you've got a, a spherical globe, Earth, after the intervention and after this new management system was put in place on this planet. So the Earth was flat, but creatures existed on it? Human proto-humans existed? Yeah, the humanity that was imported here 145,000 years ago. So you had a flat Earth for from 145,000 years to roughly 18,000 B.C. And then at that point in time, Earth... But general astronomy holds true that the planets we're seeing are spherical. That's that's how nature does it? You mean as far as uh, what the heavy bow material is stating? Or? Right. Well, I'm just trying to conjecture here. Was the Earth being flat, but every other planetoid still being spherical implies an artificial construct. And that, exactly, it does state that the Earth is an artificially uh, created uh, construct, definitely. Um, But whether Mars, uh, the other original members of the solar system were, he doesn't talk about that specifically. So you can assume, A, everything else was more or less a a flat uh, dimension. Otherwise, uh, maybe the Earth was unique because it did hold life. But there's also talk that Mars held life prior to the Ebrov intervention. So, was Mars also flat? These things, again, they're not, you know, maybe he talks on this in his 16,000 other pages of work that we don't have access to. Right. Um, so all you can do is uh, more or less assume and kind of uh, forecast out that that would be the next plausible idea. But, uh, yeah, he definitely does. There's, like, two specific quotes that are very interesting that states that the Earth is flat, and since the Erov, it's been converted to a spherical planet. So. Well, that's very interesting. It is. It's unique. So, you know, again, that could go back to the discussion of, you know, maybe that's why there's specific times where people sense and can quantify that the Earth is flat because you can see a lighthouse, you know, above the horizon where the curvature of the Earth should have that lighthouse below the curvature of the Earth. Well, there's one thing, I've heard that argument, and there's one thing I've never heard taken into account, and that's elevation. Mm. And, I, and I don't know. I mean, I've personally not done that. I mean, I really need to just do the evidence myself and do the math and I obviously right but I, I've never heard that brought up what's the idea that you could have oh just that if you're you know they always use the argument of like you can see certain things from a certain distance oh sure 
And if the Earth is curved, then you shouldn't you you shouldn't be able to. But I never hear anyone take into account just the sheer fact of what elevation is that object on and what elevation are you at. Yeah, that's a good point. That's just I mean to me it's just three dimensional physics. It's like okay, but where are you standing and where is it standing? You know? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I'll never. I, I'm not going to argue that um, there aren't a lot of things that look very hokey in what we're told in the mainstream. I agree, totally. I have trouble with the physics of a flat planet. I do too. I actually don't think that the planet is flat. I mean, I, all I can go off is you know what different research has talked about and so forth. But I haven't actually gone out and you know tested it. That's one thing that the flat earthers will say is go out and look at it yourself and prove it to yourself and I just haven't done that so I think they make some interesting arguments but again I'm not I don't pretend to be an expert on the flat earth argument but um, it's fascinating so much like this Hattie Bow material it's hard to it's hard to make any sense of it unless you actually do it yourself and bet it out so do you know where your research is leading next is there is there a group of material you're working on or what you're looking to be doing to be putting out next? I do want to get into the, the idea of the dark state. I think that's actually fairly fascinating. Um, I think there's a website called Zero Hedge out there that I go to, and there's a couple of editors that publish some very interesting work about the very high level of the elite and these different fractions that more or less run this world. Does that get into the breakaway civilization? Uh, it's, it's not so much that. Um, it's more just the idea that you've got controlling groups that fight and they like everybody else, I mean, I work. I could potentially have conflict with my uh, coworkers, even you know <laughs> we're still on the same team trying to make the company successful and so forth. Uh, so it's the idea that there's just multi-trillionaires out there that fight with one another, and you know, as a whole, they're moved, they're trying to progress this stage of civilization to the next step, but there's still going to be that human element of inner fighting and conflict and so forth. And well, with that kind of money and power, I can only imagine the raging egos they must have. Yeah, well, I'm, you pretty much need to be a psychopath, I would imagine. That's what gets said a lot, yeah. I think you would. I mean, with that kind of money and looking at humans as more or less assets and liabilities, I, I deal with it at a very small level with uh, some of the people that um, you know own some of the companies in the town that I live in. and These are you know, little fish in a little pond. I can only imagine what somebody running mega company that you know spans 70 countries on the globe i i can't even imagine what their personality types are like well it seems like they don't view people as human being individuals anymore they're just numbers they are they're you know i've i know that i'm a liability that's how i'm looked at i'm not necessarily an individual who's got a wife and trying to start a family i'm the guy that shows up as an expense on the income statement well, they don't care that you have a life. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and that's just the mindset. You know, whether that's psychopathic perception or a sociopathic perception, I don't know. I don't have it. I don't understand it, but uh, I see it daily, and I've seen it with some of the companies that have closed in the area and known some of the owners of these companies. It's it's just a different mindset that I don't have. Um, I, you know, I, I realize that they put capital into it and, and so forth, and you're supposed to be rewarded for being the entrepreneur and investing capital, but I still don't agree with it. I, I, I don't understand it. So, like, again, I can't even imagine what people that have trillions of dollars are like. It's just got to be a different mindset all around. Now, does the, uh, the Hattie Bow material get into descriptions of the elite? For instance, there's a lot of evidence that has come out, especially the past few years, about 
more high-powered people being into some serious sex crimes, pedophilia, ritual sacrifice, just horrible, horrible bad things. For the two, there's nothing unique about uh, that in the material, nothing like specifies that. Um, there is, there is a, a progress through the genotype discussion um, that does highlight some of the traits of the ruling class over the last uh, 2,000 years. You know, typically it's these people are the ones that are in charge of legitimizing economics, making money um, a tool of mass control, going, moving away from the church as a, as a tool of control and so forth, like an evolution. It's almost like um, on top of this physics and the mathematics, there's like a sociological aspect to it. Um, and a lot of it is actually very Marxist. It, it talks about the pro, not per se, but you can read into it, the bourgeoisie, the proletariat. You've got the, the upper echelon versus the lower echelon um, and how these different means of production uh, the distribution of wealth, all of that's been set up from the beginning of uh, the Ebra of time to, to consolidate to a select few. Um, but there's nothing specific in regards to pedophilia or any of these occult rituals or whatnot. Uh, there's really no discussion of that. Now, speaking of belief systems, do the Ebrav have one? Um, I would say that they... Um, the one belief would be consolidation of power. I mean, that is what all of the literature is pointing to. Um, they, by by its very nature, the Ebrav are just parasites. They're um, conflict oriented, um, and they were a dying species. And you know, if you believe what the overlying assumption is, is that they existed at a, at a lower cosmic consciousness. There's probably a reason for that, and that's why they decided to infect humanity and merge the two into kind of a hybrid, so they could partake in the higher cosmic consciousness as well as carry the traits of the arachnid brain, the, the greed and the, the conflict and so forth. Now, if you're familiar with the concept, would you say the Ebrav are, would be a synonym for the Archons? It could very well be. That's a, that's a great um, analogy, to be honest with you. And that's something I kind of want to explore down the road. I'm not uh, fully vested in some of the Gnostic stuff. I've started a little bit of uh, Carl Jung's work with the, the Sermons of the Dead. I do want to get a little bit more familiar with that. I know Jacques Ballet even got into some Archon discussion, I think, in his, one of his books, Messengers of Deception or something like that. But I, I think there is a parallel there. I think that there's a sim- symbology that's shared between both the Ebrav and the Archons. I, I definitely think that's a very strong possibility. That's what it seems like to me is uh, we should be comparing all these different mythos, if you want to, for lack of a better word, and see where things start matching up. No, I agree. I agree. Um, it's very close to being parallel. And that's another future blog for me to get kind of vested in is take my time to read some of the texts and figure out if there's any similarities. Other researchers out there who are very much invested in the Gnostic traditions might be good to bring them on board and just have a discussion about it. Yeah, yeah, that would be, I'd love to. Um, yeah, if you get any names, if you could email me or uh, sure. any contacts, I'd love to start that conversation. I think there's, I think there's a lot of uh, truth to that. I do think that they are potentially one and the same. It seems like there's very close similarities. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, and, and you know, you could even go so far as to think that this is more or less a, kind of a cheap ripoff of uh, Matrix because you there is terms such as the Matrix and, and so forth. But again, there's there's just a little bit too much concrete math, and um, I don't know. It just gives it that sense that there's a little bit more to it than just this fictional account or of some science fiction writer or novelist from a 
Soviet Union. Right, and that's why I'd like to see the validity of the mathematics and other things that's mentioned in the material tested. Yeah, yeah. If it at least makes sense to itself, yeah. then, you know, somebody's putting forth some effort to put this material out there. Yeah, yeah. One of the big things in all of this is the idea that the parsec is different than what's officially considered to be a parsec. Um, what he's done is he states that you should really use the Kepler model of the Earth uh, rotating the sun and that the distance that it takes sun to travel so much, uh, the, dis- the beam of sunlight to go from the planet sun or the solar sun to Earth, that's over a specific time. That is what a parsec should really be. Um, and then he really gets into the idea that what modern science and modern astronomy doesn't realize is that the Earth is moving in uh, kind of in like a spiral. It looks like a helix. So you can imagine the, the sun is in the middle of uh, like a tube, a container, and the Earth is moving around it in kind of a spiral uh, format. So there's a, And that's, again, where somebody who's got the Russian and the technical background, they can prove that out. He's basically saying that you can prove that uh, the science is all real. The math is all real because if you can you can take into account some of these angles that the sun is in relationship to the Earth and the Earth transversing in an orbit around the sun. Um, that is supposed to be the key to all of this. Like that proves, for instance, that this stuff isn't made up. That there is a scientific um, legitimacy to the information that he published. I wonder if the travel is actually a repeated Fibonacci spiral. I uh, that I don't know. I don't um you know he was an alleged uh, golden ratio guy. It does mention in his autobiography that he was very big on bringing back the golden section, the golden ratios in biology, uh, in cell life, in plant life, human life and so forth and I I imagine there's this work that he's got out there that of course isn't online but it's called the mechanics of the celestial bodies and the heavenly bodies and I I I can only imagine that the golden ratio is a, a key part of all of that. I would think so, because we see it repeated over and over and over again just on the planet here that we can see with our own eyes. Yeah, yeah. And so if anybody's got that out there, send it over. I'd love to read it. I've always thought of sacred geometry as the blueprints of the universe. Yeah. I, and he's hinting at that, to be honest with you. He really is. He's um, an alleged expert in all of these fields of area. Again, does it exist or not? I don't know. Well, again, if this is a hoax, it's somebody who's put forth a lot of effort and understands a lot of higher-end concepts. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. Again, it feels like it's, you know, going back to the discussion of using a MasterCard to buy a flesh jacket. I mean, <laughs> what kind of wild acid dream came up with that, you know? And then at the same time, you're talking about uh, the cycle of the horse, the horsepower, and how it translates to a, a specific unit of measurement that is the basis of an octave and how octaves can translate into specific wavelengths and... Uh, have a bolt per meter cubed or uh, sort of like an electric charge to it and a, and a timeline to it or a, a lifespan to the thing. So, yeah, I mean, you literally can do that. You can go from a MasterCard buying a soul for a, a jacket for $1.5 billion and then suddenly you're talking about octaves that manipulate um, the spine and the human brain and how it's linked up into the moon and to the sun. So it's, it's out there, you know, I... It is what it is. All I can do at this point in time is basically read it, and I think it's fascinating, and I'm happy to kind of summarize it as best as I can for uh, public consumption. Well, this has been awesome. Do you want to give out all of your contact information? 
Sure. Um, if anybody wants to reach me, um, my email is sagesigma at gmail.com. That's S-A-G-E-S-I-G-M-A, all small caps. I've got a Twitter handle, uh, Sage Sigma, as well. And then I've also got the uh, blog at sagesigma.blogspot.com. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to talk. I've got a good chain of communication going with multiple people and um, more people that look at this, and I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I encourage everyone out there, let's let's work together on this. Contact me, contact James, and let's let's all try and put some more pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Fascinating information that James has been bringing to light. We'll definitely be keeping in touch, and we'll bring you more information as it is available. If you wish to reach this show, you can email me at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com. We have the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash secretsofsaturn. There's a Facebook page, facebook.com slash secretsofsaturn. And we are now an official podcast on iTunes. We'll see you soon.